This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Previously on The Score, behind the headlines. You know, and as a, like a, a big NBA fan, I grew up with a vague knowledge that Jordan's dad had been killed. And I always assumed that it, it was in some way tied to Michael Jordan, whether James Jordan was targeted because of who he was or it had something to do with his alleged gambling. I think it's important for people to remember that Michael at the time was being investigated by the National Basketball Association, that there were cashier's checks. Michael had written in amounts $57,000, $108,000. You know, the guys who, again, he claimed were gambling buddies and these were gambling debts and given Michael's gambling history, that's believable, but these were guys, one of them had been murdered. Welcome to The Score, Behind the Headlines, Episode 6, Holding Pattern. Behind the Headlines is an investigative podcast from 670 The Score. In Season 1, we're examining the 1993 murder of Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan. With Julie DeCaro, I'm executive producer Tony Gill. We're now on Episode 6 of this season, and originally, six episodes was all we intended to do. So far, we've done a general overview of the murder of James Jordan, talked about the corrupt history of law enforcement in Robeson County, where the murder allegedly took place, examined the blood and circumstantial evidence against Larry Demery and Daniel Green, and talked about the conspiracy theories that Michael Jordan's infamous gambling had something to do with his father's murder. And honestly, we initially intended to use this episode to talk about our feelings about the case itself, And then we plan to move on to another topic for season two. But thanks to the popularity of this podcast, word about our examination of this case made its way to Daniel Green, who was currently in prison at Lumberton Correctional Facility in North Carolina. And he asked us to send him transcripts of the episodes via his attorney, Chris Moma. We've been in regular contact with Chris, and we now believe we'll be able to talk with both her and Daniel Green in the coming weeks. So we're definitely going to do more episodes than we originally intended. And by the way, we know a lot of you guys are interested in hearing more about Hubert Larry Dees, the drug dealing son of the sheriff, Hubert Stone, remember him? Who worked with Larry Demery near the site where James Jordan's body was dumped and who was never interviewed by the police, even though he was the very first phone call Demery and Daniel Green made from the cell phone in James Jordan's car. We've been trying unsuccessfully to contact both Dees and his attorney, Dale Godfrey. So far, no success, but we'll keep trying. Back in 2017, though, Tony, Larry Dees did talk to the Robeson County paper of record, the Robesonian, and here's what he said in a statement via his attorney. I've rehabilitated my name and reputation since being released on drug trafficking charges in 1998. I have built a successful business and members of my community are treating me like a murderer when that's simply not the case. I've worked hard to build my life back. 
And here's what his attorney, Daniel Godfrey, had to say in that same interview. The attorneys assert that Sheriff Stone knew of his son's involvement in drug trafficking. Therefore, rather than investigating the murder as a drug deal gone bad, somehow convinced highly trained federal and state agents that in fact the murder was the result of a random carjacking. Deese was not a convicted drug dealer at the time of the slaying, his attorney points out. He was later arrested and convicted of drug trafficking. But Deese said that happened only after Stone contacted the federal DEA and initiated an investigation into the drug trafficking in Robeson County. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, uh, if he is actually the one who instigated a DEA investigation. So we'll have to try to find out. So I think there's some questions that we still need to answer here. Um, And here's what we're hoping to do in the next few weeks. Number one, did Sheriff Hubert Stone, in fact, initiate a DEA investigation into drug trafficking in Robeson County? It seems kind of hard to believe, given that there was already federal testimony that he was on the take from drug dealers. So we'll have to see if we can track that information down. Hubert Stone, it's hard to... Um, believe that he would, hey, come look at my county. I think we're yeah. doing some dirty stuff. <laughs> um, it, it's hard to believe because nobody wants that on their record, you know, as the overseer of, of, of a county, that there was such rampant um, corruption and just terrible things going on in a, in a in a place where you're supposed to be the highest authority in terms of policing, um, that you allow this stuff to happen and you want the national shame of that. Like, I mean, unless he had a change of heart after all those years. Right. And remember, Attorney General William Webb said in back in like 1987, there was a guy who testified under oath in a federal corruption trial that that Larry, that, excuse me, that Hubert Stone was taking three hundred dollars per ounce yeah. from drug dealers for, you know, protection purposes. So that seems a little tough to believe. Yeah, And in, uh, in a, the, uh, the story of the two gentlemen that. um. That went to the Robesonian and took hostages that they would go that far to try and prove that what Hubert Stone was doing and ask, like, don't send us to Hubert Stone because we are going to expose him. Right. I mean, that seems like a lot going on. Um, if, if Hubert's like, yeah, come come look at yeah. our stuff, please. That seems a little <laughs> tough to believe. So I'm going to dig into that and see if we can try to figure out if that's in fact true. Um Another big question for me is whether Larry Demery confessed to Connie Brayboy that he was the sole murderer of James Jordan. Remember, Connie Brayboy is the woman who was the editor of the uh, Indian Voice, which was a now defunct paper in Carolina focusing on Native American issues. She says he confessed to her and that she kept it out of the paper because she didn't want to upset his mother, who was a friend of hers. Um, we reached out to her on Facebook. She responded and said she wanted to come on the podcast, and we haven't heard from her since. So still trying to get a hold of her and see what she has to say that would be very very interesting if we can you know track her down and hopefully she's you know at a place where she's strong enough um and able to do that i don't know what's hindering uh her i hope it's not a third party uh that is you know trying to bully its way into you know getting the truth out um but i i think what she has to say is is very key. If this if this is true that he confessed to her, this changes like a lot, and it do, undoes like a lot of the things that has gone on with the the conviction of Daniel Green and um, just everything about it. it. It changes a lot. 
Yeah, and she's one of, I think, three or four people who say that Larry Demery confessed mm-hmm. to her, but at least two of those guys were guys who were in jail with Larry Demery, mm-hmm. so maybe have something, um, maybe have a co- little bit of a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the opposite of the conflict of interest because Larry Demery is a member of the Lumbee Indian community there, um, so is she, and she's friends with his mother. So she gave an affidavit um, to his uh, defense team that that you can read in the filings. Uh, so, you know, she's been under oath already testifying that this is true. So hopefully we'll be able to get in touch with her. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Um, the biggest one for me, Tony, is that is there physical evidence connecting Daniel Green to the murder of James Jordan? And now that the blood evidence has been called into question and Jennifer Elwell from the SBI says if there were to be another trial and I testified today, I would say I don't know if there's blood in the car or not. If you throw that blood evidence out, then what do you have other than Larry Demery's testimony? Yeah, if. Again, we know the motives of, you know, the state. They want a conviction on the murders. Um, but again, my biggest issue is at what cost? Um, is it at If it's at the cost, and it, it takes a different spin for me personally. Me being an American black man, um, does, if Daniel Green is being wrongfully convicted, um, again, by by the state because of insufficient evidence that they have, it's messed up. It's messed up that they rather allow him to stay in prison um, on a iffy on iffy evidence versus actually finding the truth or having to actually prove it with something. And that's and that's scary. Yeah. And there's a couple things. I mean, number one is, you know, at this point, I, I think there is zero physical evidence. And and not only that, there's zero circumstantial evidence outside of the fact that Daniel Green had James Jordan's jewelry. But mm-hmm. like we said, that points to robbery, not necessarily to murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, Tony, is that I think we need to delve a little bit more into the gun. You know, one of the things the state keeps saying is that that, you know, we found the gun in Daniel Green's home. Well, remember that Larry Demery was staying there while Daniel Green was in prison for a crime he was um, eventually exonerated of. Um, and not only that, you know, one of the things we talk about is all the mistakes that that his initial defense team made. They never hired a ballistics expert to try to tie the gun to that bullet that was found in James Jordan. And not only that, the bullet that came out of James Jordan was so mangled that it was never tied to any gun. So the fact that, you know, when we talk to Hubert, excuse me, when we talk to Johnson Britt or when we talk to Hugh Rogers and they say, well, all the physical evidence points to Daniel Green, like we said last last episode, what physical evidence are you talking about? Yeah, the what, the phone? Like, was there something on the phone or who made the call? Was it, again, the blood is already iffy. Um, The removal of the shirt, was there anything on the shirt that was buried and... Look, if if you can't if you can't prove it, what's the point? You know, if if you 
if you know you can't prove it. And that's that's the weird thing about it too, is are you sure as a uh, uh, a representative of the state, are you sure that this was has been corroborated and it's 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 the evidence is exactly on point and where it needs to go? Um, they we were, are not. It, yeah, it, it just seems like they were just in a rush just to get a conviction. Well, remember Hubert Stone talked with Scott Rabb from GQ, and, and one of the things he said was something along the lines of, well, if you you know, if in this county, if you see a black and an Indian together, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and then we keep hearing, one of the things Johnson Britt pointed out was saying that, well, the SBI was involved in this case from the beginning, so it's not like Hubert Stone could direct them one way or another. But my understanding is the SBI is there just to assist. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, it, it still looks like, at least from all the records that I have seen, that most of the interviews and the investigation is being done by Robeson County Sheriff's Office, and the SBI is sort of jumping in where they need to help, like with the forensic evidence and stuff. So if, for example, they decide we're not going to talk to Larry Deese, even though he's the first phone call they made from the car phone, and he's a known drug dealer, and he works a mile from where James Jordan's body was found, Mm -hmm. then the SBI is not necessarily going to have that information to say, hey, why didn't you call this guy? Even if Larry Deese didn't commit the murder, having his angle of what happened— I mean, it's got to be some truth in there, even if he makes up something. There's going to be some truth in there to kind of make it a more clearer picture than just the testimony of Larry Demery being the end-all, be-all. Right. And, I mean, Larry Demery testified against Daniel Green in exchange for a life sentence instead of facing the death penalty. So Mm -hmm. it's not like he wasn't—he didn't have a reason to not tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So when we started off this podcast, we said, you know, we're not on one side or the other. But it seems like as we get closer to the end, we're sort of both in the place where I don't know who did it, but it seems like there needed to be a lot more evidence in this case for us to feel comfortable with the conviction. Now, you being the legal expert uh, out of this group, <laughs> um, if it's an I don't know, does, does I don't that equal— I know is not guilty. Right. I mean, it, uh, be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt doesn't mean beyond all doubt, but it means that you have to do some pretty serious mental gymnastics to get to not guilty. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I don't think you have to do any mental gymnastics to get to not guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, because especially if, if it's done how it's supposed to, where you're not guilty, you know, until proven so, if you start from that space, I still don't know how you get up to guilty with all the stuff that's going on in between. Well, just remember all the stuff the jury didn't hear, right? They didn't hear any of the Larry D stuff. Mm-hmm. The um, His initial prosecutors, excuse me, Daniel Green's initial defense team didn't call his alibi witnesses who said he was at this party all night. Mm-hmm. They didn't test, they didn't challenge the gun. They didn't challenge the hole in the shirt, you know, not being there and then being there. Mm-hmm. They didn't do a very good job with the blood evidence. So, you know, the jury isn't hearing the same stuff that we have seen now we've had the benefit of going back and looking at all these records and seeing you know all the things that have happened since but at the time the jury doesn't know that the blood's going to get thrown you know basically not thrown out but blood is going to wind up being a non-issue they don't know that you know Larry it's an accepted Deese's, fact right right and <laughs> i mean it's not yeah and a lot of juries see prosecutors and police officers as white knights and um they believe them just by virtue of the fact that they're a police officer and they're a prosecutor um 
I, I think that the fascination with our listeners, with Larry Deese, continues to really be something that um, amuses me. I'm really, really hoping we can talk to Dale Godfrey so that we can hear from Larry mm-hmm. Deese because I, I, he's been pretty vocal about the fact that he had nothing to do with this. But I think it's um, I, I think people would like to hear from him. We will continue to search. Um, the number we currently have doesn't lead directly to him. Um, so we're still searching, you know, to talk to him. Uh, Julie, you have heard that he loves to talk about this case. Yeah, and, that, yeah, right. Uh, um, and I mean, to to his credit, his his client didn't have anything to do with this legally, according to this case. Um, so he basically won this. So I, I assume he wants to talk about it and how he got his client kind of off of this case, even though I think it, he's in prison now. He's out. He's, he's out. out. Okay. Yeah, he's out. Um, but yeah, I, we definitely would like to talk to him, and uh, we're going to talk to Chris yes. in, in, in the coming weeks, and hopefully Daniel, too. As right. Well. And so if any of the stuff that we're talking about doesn't make sense, I, I really encourage you to go back to listen to those middle episodes of the podcast. All like, the episodes. Episode one got like a huge response. The conspiracy theory episode went off the chart. <laughs> but some of the episodes that really have the meat of the case in there, like, you know, episode three, episode two about yeah. Robeson County, episode three about Larry Deese, episode four with all the blood evidence. Those are the ones you really need to listen yeah, to. And we really tried to and we know it, it gets kind of. You know, I don't want to say boring going through all the things. We really try to kind of sum it up and give you guys what is most most important um, in this case and make it entertaining as well on how we produced it and stuff like that. So I think it's great um, on how we uh, decided what was important and what you needed to know about this case to get as informed uh, as you can be if you're interested in this case. Um, so, yeah, go back and listen to those episodes. Um, and, and for me, one more question is, um, you know, obviously we need to establish what Larry Deese's role, if any, is in mm-hmm. this investigation. And maybe it goes down to why Larry Deese was the first call, Daniel Green. And actually, I think he was the second call. The first call was like to a sex line or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are 17 year old boys. <laughs> um, and, and that's a thing that I think really gets lost in this, that you look at a picture of Daniel Green and Larry Demery now, and they look like hardened, you know, guys who've been in prison for 20 years. But if because you, they have. Right. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at the pictures of them at the time, these were kids. Yeah. Kids. I mean, they look like babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know why Larry Larry Deese was the guy they decided they needed to call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if something very bad happened to James Jordan and it's all just why, you know, why would these kids, if you believe uh, how the prosecution went about it, um, we really don't know that either. Right. Is no, they just did it. Uh, well, right. that's that's a giant leap for a, a kid, 17-year-old kid, to commit murder. Right. I mean, there's a reason behind it, even if it was an accident, quote-unquote. But there's a reason why James Jordan is, is dead, and I, I, I think that we don't know that. Well, and I think that sort of plays into the general racism we have when it comes to young men of color, right? It's kind of that Central Park Five group of, you know, teenagers out there, black teenagers, who knows what they, why they do what they Mm do kind of thing. Um, But, you know, to me, it seems like you've got two guys telling very different stories. Larry Demery says we were there robbing people and Daniel Green just shot him. And Daniel Green says, I wasn't even there. He called me and said he needed help getting rid of a dead body. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in between there is the, the truth. truth. Yeah. 
Um, so another thing that we've had a bunch of people ask us the status of the case. So here's where it is. Um, Chris Mama, and hopefully we'll talk with Chris next week and she'll be able to let us mm-hmm. know. Um, we'll she, continue the storytelling part of the aspect yes. uh, of this uh, podcast. That's why this one is called Holding Pattern because yeah. it was like, <laughs> uh, we have to put her in an episode, but we don't really have any new information. So, um, they're waiting. For the judge, basically, in this case, who heard Daniel's motion for a new hearing on evidence, said, I'm going to deny it. But I don't think he has officially denied it. And I don't think he's handed down written opinion yet. I've been watching for it online and waiting for it. And I haven't seen it come down yet. So until the judge's written opinion comes down, they don't even know what they need to appeal. So Chris said they're planning to appeal, but they don't even know what the issues are yet because they need to find out what the judge says about the case. So everybody right now is just sort of waiting. Um, I can't wait till we can actually have like the after episode yeah. um, to discuss because the I think we, we do need to delve into the justice system a little bit um, just overall and how. I mean, I got so many thoughts, <laughs> thoughts on that. Me so um, we'll definitely discuss that in a in a later episode once we're done uh, telling this this story. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just so much stuff around this case. It's like, why is it taking him so long? The he made the, his decision what two weeks ago, at least. I mean, and this is not like a you know just a Passover case. Like this is a kind of infamous yeah. case. Um, and it's taking this long for them to make an appeal. Like, I don't know what he's waiting for. They're going to appeal regardless of how long you wait. It's like it's kind of, yeah. you know, it's, this whole thing is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good look for, you know, sadly, this is the way the justice system works for a lot of not just people of color, but people um, who are, uh, I hate don't to say. Don't have the means. Yeah, don't have means. Like low, considered, quote unquote, lower class. Mm-hmm. This is the way the justice system works for them. So I think it's it's a good um hopefully eye-opening thing to look at for for a lot of our listeners. Um, next, Within the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk to Chris Mama and Daniel Green. So if you have specific questions you want to ask them, like, you know, why didn't blah, 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 or why did you do this? Why did you do that? Um, like, I want to ask Daniel, why did you guys call Larry Deese? Who was Larry Deese to you guys? Mm-hmm. You know, was he someone Larry knew who we thought, oh, here's a guy who will know what to do? Was it more than that? Did Was he at that hotel because of Larry Deese and now he doesn't know what to do? I mean, I want to. those are the questions I want to ask him. So I would say to our listeners out there, if you have specific questions that only Daniel Green can answer for you, um, let us know and, and we'll try to get him in. You want to tell them the, the Gmail, the longest Gmail ever? Uh, yeah, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> uh, I think it's behind, no, 670 behind the headlines at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll shorten it up for next season. All right. Anything else? Any big questions that you have going forward that you feel like we need to answer within the next few? Uh, no, I think I think we've gone over all of them. Um, again, my biggest concern was um, does the way the state went about it in terms of getting the evidence, did that supersede actually finding the truth? The score behind the headlines is written and researched by me, Julie DeCaro, and our executive producer is Tony Gill. New episodes are posted Monday of each week on Radio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Julie DeCaro, at Tony Gill 670 and at 670 The Score.
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 